0: lots of coffee, because um, we're here in a coffee house, we're in Accents in Dublin, and yeah, welcome to episode 5, and what are we talking about for this episode, folks?
1: Should we say where we are guys,
0: if they're not sponsoring us? Um, it's just honest reporting. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. You we're can, embedded yeah. in Accents right now. Did you pay for
2: the coffees? <laughs> yes. Yes, uh-huh. yes. Well, not sponsored, but yeah. An Everything idea, Chris, to, go- to Joe, pause the podcast. Yeah, yeah I'll be back <laughs> in 25 minutes.
3: Um, so has anything interesting happened to you? Because you've been to places. You've been to things, Marie. Yeah. I've
0: been to things. I've been to ESOP. And um, it's a European Science Open Forum, which might mean nothing to some of the people listening. But it's one of the biggest general science conferences in Europe. Um, it's like it's not its not for scientists per se. It's for anyone interested in science. So you get lots of um, educators and science communicators and all those kind of people going along. And they, they talk about not just... Current research that's happening, but how science is being taught in schools or how we should approach funding science, anything to do with science and society, basically. And the reason I kind of went, one of the reasons, it wasn't Professor Brian Cox, it was, no, it wasn't. (laughs) One of the reasons I went was actually a comedy panel, and it was all about science and comedy. And if you've noticed a little giggling in the background, we've got a guest here today. It's Jessamine, Dr. Jessamine Fairfield, attorney at law.
2: Yes, thank you very much for having me, guys. I'm really excited. Yeah, thanks for being here. Um, but first, tell me more about the science comedy panel.
0: Yeah, well, but inter- <laughs> I was interjecting to say that Jessamine is a scientist and the comedian so that's why it's directly relevant that she's here today Seems. yeah it's pretty, pretty cool Perfect segue <laughs> that was it. yeah we need we all need a segue um yeah the panel was fantastic because they had um the first ever nobel and Ig nobel prize winner uh, doctor andre professor andre Guine. has anybody ever heard of him
3: uh
1: levitating frogs
0: yeah in 2010 he won an Ig nobel prize for uh levitating frogs using magnets so it was like
3: that sounds like the best experiment ever. Yeah, that's he true. said he
0: could not levitate it. Not for the frogs.
3: Well, maybe they, you know, the maybe they, like they
0: were like I don't know, <laughs> they
3: enjoyed themselves. They had magnetic personalities, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and it starts.
0: Uh, we try to get as many puns in as possible. That's it's actually funny. Joe's fault. It's, it's the main oh, aim of the
3: show. Hardly my fault. <laughs> it is. He started it. It's your fault. So we're gonna um, blame you on here.
0: Yeah, I think he was gonna. Uh, he was kind of gunning for the funny aspect anyway, because he said he could have thrown anything in there to levitate it. But frogs look far funnier, and he's kind of best known for that now. So he goes to a physics conference because he won a physics Nobel Prize in 2010. Yeah, I mean, and I would have said
2: he. I would have hoped he'd be best known yeah, for, for graphene, graphene.
0: But So people, he, he assumes that people will stop and go, "Oh, you won the Nobel Prize for your work on graphene." No, they stop and go, "I love what you did with the floating frog." Like he's still. To as 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 it, gets that. it
3: sticks in people's minds yeah. more. Yeah, oh, it's, it's Yeah, and he's it, it's imagery. He,
0: and his, but his whole thing is like, why not? If people stop me for that, maybe then I can start talking to them about graphene. (laughs) So you get a bit of science in there too. And of course there's like proper science behind the levitating frog. I don't know what exactly, but you know, maybe we can make a big enough one for people. He actually still, he got a letter from a cult in the UK or America asking if he knew how to build a big enough pad to levitate um, all of the people in this cult.
3: Was there a reason (laughs) for their levitation?
0: I think it's just, they want it to look impressive, so yeah. I mean, so you still get to this
2: kind of nut job. <laughs> I could imagine getting that letter from someone planning their child's birthday party as well. I'm like, look, I'd really like to levitate all the children. <laughs> <laughs> They'd really enjoy it. I think. not want to make book a a bouncing castle. Mm. It's hard to get everyone to jump in unison for a photo, so this would be easier. <laughs>
1: Do people self-identify as cults when they're writing letters?
2: Like Maybe not they're it. writing letters. <laughs> Are oh, they, did he say
1: make a letter? a letter? No, he got an email.
2: He got, he got, he got an actual, like, letter in the post. So, so an so actual yeah, handwritten yeah. letter, that
3: alone tells you they're mad in this Maybe, that's, they, maybe they, that's when you they were a trying to, put, to put, put.
0: They were trying to do calculations for how much equipment they'd need to float, to get everybody to levitate a certain amount of <laughs> inches off the ground. It was quite specific, like, they were dead serious about it. And they were like some unified church of blah blah, they didn't say the cult of what.
3: Alright, but <laughs> he, the he, he labelled <laughs> them a cult. Yeah,
0: I think it, but, was the, it was
3: the unified church of levitation, of large objects.
2: It could have been.
3: Can you have a good <laughs> socks?
0: Can you have a what? A
3: good
1: cult, like a, a I mean, I cult. Cult. I think cult
2: I think I'm in a good cult. Because uh, I do improv. <laughs> <laughs> uh, improv is a cult. <laughs> yeah, impro- improvised comedy is a bunch of like really happy, excited people supporting each other and it's super addictive and I would say it's a, a cult that fixes your life forever as okay. other cults promise to do but fail on. Uh, but it is a little bit culty. But what's the definition? And we joke about it a lot. <laughs> which maybe means it's not a cult I don't
3: know but what's the definition of a cult uh, what defines a cult robes
2: Kool-
0: that,
3: Kool-Aid k- well no that's the Jonestown Massacre but like, it, yeah, like, but oh, like what okay, defines thanks. an actual cult like if, is it something that like you know is teaching a certain way of living and promises ascension or is it like, like anything are you being... asking
0: for a scientific definition
3: I, of a cult well not so much but like if, if we're kind of trying to define like what actually is a cult is, is there a particular definition of a cult that you can say, well, tr- Trekkies are a cult or yeah. Star Trek, you know, Star well, Wars that's fans are a cult. Culture,
2: yeah, it's um, popular culture and appropriating yeah, the word guess, cult, though. That's cult a good question. Question. What's the difference between a cult and a bunch of geeks?
1: Yeah, like, a cult is a cult. system of religious veneration and devotion directed towards a particular figure or object. Yeah, there religion then.
0: That sounds like
1: Religious ordinary. generation, you know. Religious <laughs> generation, but it
3: could be an object, so this cup of coffee could be the cult the cult of Java or something you could have,
1: which I guarantee you probably exists. Probably. Um, but like, yeah, so it must be the cult of levitation or hovering of some sort. There's also the like the kind of uh, general term we use, which uh, is a person or thing that is popular or fashionable among a particular group or section of society. I feel that's like the less... Like if something has uh, a cult
2: following. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Okay, well that's... So can we rule
0: out that we're not in a cult then? I want to know more about
2: improv, though. (laughs) I want to talk more about improv. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Um, because, yeah, improv, like, I actually first started doing improv here in Dublin, um, while I was working as a postdoc at Trinity. And, uh, I had heard about, like, improv for scientists type initiatives, both in the U.S. and here, and like, oh, you know, it teaches great, you know, presentation skills, and how to be spontaneous, and like, how to... You know, think on the fly and be quick in responses to things, uh, which is in some ways the opposite of the mindset that academia trains you for, yeah. of like, revise and think critically and other people will try to compete with you for how much they can think critically and poke holes in your ideas. And uh, I started doing improv as like a, you know, well, I'm gonna learn some stuff from this and I'll, I'm sure I'll never do performances or shows because that would be crazy, right? Um, and now, three years later, I am in a cult, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm in an improv group, and I, uh, called Not The Eyes, who are amazing, if they're listening, um, and I'm very involved in, like, the Dublin improv scene, and doing, like, a lot of shows and stuff, there's a big annual festival, like, You've done your own just... show, you've done,
1: like, a one-woman one show.
2: Yes, that's true, although my one-woman show was about two-thirds, like, stand-up and pre-scripted, like, musical comedy. Um, much of which was centered around science and then some improvised bits where I'd like get suggestions from the audience and then like do impromptu songs about those um, which was really fun like, and I got into stand-up through improv and then a little bit after that happened I heard about Bright Club which is this initiative to combine research and stand up comedy that came out of the UK? was sort of first developed, I think, six or seven years ago mm-hmm. at UCL by Steve Cross. Uh, and I quickly found out that no one was doing break clubs in Ireland. And I emailed Steve and was like, Can I please do it? Can I be the one that does it? And he was like, Yeah, sure, it's fine. Why are you making such a big deal about it? <laughs> um, <laughs> and now I, I'm trying to get other people to join my cult uh, by trying to do things. i terrified,
0: con. though, to stand up and be. Do they prepare a lot for it, or is there any improv involved? Or do they not like read themselves because it's nothing like presenting scientific results, right?
2: Yeah, it is very different because you know if you think about like presenting your research normally, you're generally like trying to to tell a story, but also to kind of make an argument. Like, here's what I think I've discovered. Here's why I think it's important. Here are all the reasons that I have for that. and when you get up to do comedy, it's a bit different and it's more subjective And that you're kind of saying, here's what I think is funny. Like, I hope that you laugh. Please laugh. Yeah, so that's the thing. Um, you don't have to worry about that at a conference. Yeah, well... It's actually,
3: you prefer the opposite when they don't laugh.
2: Yeah, you're like, here's my conclusions, and the room erupts into <laughs> laughter. Um, but, like, for Bright Club, we do training with people beforehand. Um, and the training is actually very, like, improv-centric. Uh, Joe knows he's done the training.
1: I did, yeah. Oh. And,
2: and it's like, it's a lot of just stuff to get you comfortable on stage, stuff to get you like thinking about how you tell stories and how you have your own sense of humor, as everyone does. I give th- an example of what, what you did. I'll
1: give you an example. Yeah. Uh, we did, well, it was improv, so it, it's it's hard to explain. <laughs> uh, also, it was a long time ago. I remember thinking at the time about. Like, it was fun, and it was a lot more fun than I expected it would be. But I was also thinking, how, how would you get good at this? Because I feel like, if it's improv, it's kind of different every time.
2: It is. Um. And in some ways, you're just, like, with improv itself, you're just practicing how to come up with ideas, like, quickly and on the fly. And especially how to stop your inner critic. You know what I mean? Like, whenever, whenever we talk, um, in some context more than others, we're kind of monitoring what we say and thinking, mm. like, Was that a clever thing to say? Oh, I should talk about this now. Oh, shit, I should have said that! Like, we're monitoring and kind of, in some, in a lot of times, like, shutting ourselves down. Um, and that has useful purposes in normal conversation. Like, sometimes it's not appropriate to talk about some things in some contexts, Or, you know something, but it's a secret, so you're gonna try to not say it, because that would be bad for some reason. but a lot of improv initially is just about like shutting all that down and just being like, yep, whatever I say now is right, and it enables all this creativity, which is really great. Um, and it also helps you come up with ways to talk about things creatively, and that's a lot of what we do with the Bright Club speakers. Is kind of say, okay, like you have your research, which you're an expert in, you know a lot of ways to talk about it. Let's find what's funny there, um, yeah. which could be you know something about the way the research is done. It could be results in the research itself that are surprising or like subvert people's expectations. It it doesn't have to be making fun of your research topic, although some people interpret it that way. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, because that's kind of like the Ig Um It's not that the research is ridiculous, but it's finding something funny in it that yeah. often the scientists never even thought was funny to begin with. So yeah. this guy the guy who started it back in 91, Mark Abrahams, so he's from Harvard, and he thought, um, screw it, there's a lot of fun in science and a lot of humour. So it's been running for yeah, years now, and every year ten people get awarded this Ig Nobel Prize for the funniest or strangest and the most bizarre research. Um, one, of, one of my favourites that I read about was um, it was about the amount of time it takes for uh, mammals to pee and The scientists actually found out that all mammals um, we on average for 21 seconds, no matter what size the mammal is. I think that's kind of cool. So if you decide to go for a weed beside an elephant and a mouse, you're all on average would really wean together, not that you would, but if you wanted to, for 21
2: seconds. That's so interesting, because yeah. it kind of makes sense, right? If you think about the size of bladders, like a larger yeah. bladder could exert a larger like fluid flow pressure. That's so cool.
0: I know. And that is, but it's that, about we, so it's fine. Yeah, Well, <laughs> as you were saying, like,
2: funny takes on research can be a lot more memorable than being like, here is the most interesting thing in this field. It's like, no, levitating frog. U- universal urination time. Yeah. That's
3: really Universal urination time. <laughs> you, you it, you actually, wow. Yeah, you there, There's That's a name a for it, I can't
0: remember, but it's something like that. Yeah, the, whatever, the, yeah, universal oh, yeah. urination time. <laughs> It's good to know though, for, but you would think that would help with cues in nightclubs. Then why does it take longer for women if it's on average 21 seconds? Why are they in there for longer than men?
3: Because nightclubs are terrible. Yeah. And also women go in and packs. They're
0: not just weeding, they're chatting as they well. They generally go
3: in three at a time with a no cubicle. Cubicles, cubicles are Well, that's, that's, that's the urban legend. I mean. yeah. Not that and I being know. being in
0: a urinal doesn't really, you can't really chat. It's kind of... Oh, no, exposed. you don't talk. No.
3: You don't talk at all. Standing in a male urinal, no, no, no. Unless yeah. you're there with the a friend. The is to get in and get out. Keep eyes possible. forward, get it done, <laughs> wash your hands and leave.
2: Get it done in the same amount of time. Yeah. Now we know. So there's none of this
3: racing the flush. Everyone does that. Every man does that. Races to flush. Don't look at me with that blank stare, Joe. Sounds <laughs> like I don't know my, what you're talking about. My next. experience <laughs> of
1: male toilets might be complete. No, like
3: even at home when you flush the toilet and race to flush.
1: To leave? To
3: pee? We're getting way off topic here. <laughs> Why would
2: you flush before you finish This pee? is intriguing too. But this is the thing. So wait, so you flush with you menu for you. No, it's
1: like
3: you're peeing and before you finish peeing, you flush and then race to the flush. So, before the
1: flush finishes, you have to finish P? I've never done that, but also that's probably because I can't multitask. So, I guarantee you a lot of guys do that. What what was I doing? Oh no, absolutely, yeah, (laughs) no, a lot of people do things that I'm incapable of doing. (laughs) Figuring out to flush and P at the same time. I'll try that. Probably not well done well
0: but my shoes are <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I see science has also helped men pee properly too. There is uh, research done um, to design urinals with like targets on them. So yeah, that men weird. will aim at the target. The fake and line. it's like it's gamified, it's like mm. fun to pee. So, you know, men are competitive. So they'll pee, they all want to win by peeing at the center of the That's where the racing the flesh comes from. Okay. Everyone really
3: competitive in the, Even so in the So we discovered
0: loo. a game too. Okay.
3: <laughs> I didn't discover it. I know everyone, I guarantee you there's people out there that do it.
0: Finally, we're making peeing fun.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. what's really competitive? How do so you
0: it? make peeing fun for women? Like the shiwi is kind of fun. I've never used one, but it looks like a fun thing to what? use. What? You've never heard of a shiwi? No. no. It's for festivals, so it gets women peeing like men. There's no mess. You don't dribble down your leg. It's a gadget somebody's designed. It's a gadget that basically allows you to
2: not pee on yourself but to be standing up. Yeah. Which is useful for a lot of things, actually.
0: It's a stand- it's a- it's kind of a- It's like a funnel? It's like- yeah, it's a little penis substitute, a funnel that lets you wee out. Mm -hmm.
3: I just- you want to meet the people that come up with these things. Just like wonder. I want to meet the person here with a name, she Wee. she wee. (laughs) That sounds like a really bad version of She-Ra.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's like she will he yeah, man, man Yeah, it's like she wee, she hee, she wee. We, she hee's
3: he, we. <laughs> well, a completely different thing altogether. What's her, she what, what's
1: her special
0: car?
3: Clearly peeing standing up is obviously yeah. up there. Oh the, like
0: that already exists. You know, Queen Maeve of Connacht? Yeah. She um was renowned for being the farthest pisser of all women in Ireland.
3: I really need to tell Paul Bulger <laughs> well, that. She
0: could yeah, apparently. It's not really in the books of myths and legends, but well, then, no, a, the modern ones, but Well, there's there. a
3: friend of mine who's currently it's making a graphic that. novel version of Cucullin's story, and obviously Maeve was in it, so I have to be able to put that into book tree.
0: Yeah, research it first, but a friend who was studying <laughs> Irish told me
2: that that was the case. I have to tell him, that's going to that's fascinate him. Oh man, I want your friend to go to Bright Club <laughs> and be in it and talk about yeah. the that is fantastic. I, yeah, I, I like that. That's a
0: fact that I like to bring out <laughs> as much as possible. as your cocktail party fact. <laughs> yeah.
3: I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I would have called that contraption the Queen Maeve, then I wouldn't call her the Shewee at all. Absolutely well, see
0: know, Queen a lot Maeve. Of people know yeah. that she did they didn't know that she
3: you know. I'm gonna troll on my Queen Maeve and go into that porta party right now and yeah. sort myself out. And we
2: need to stop whitewashing our history and myths and you know, yeah. start stop exploring whitewashing the, the history the... of women pissing. Exactly. Yes. Stop yellow washing <laughs> it? Oh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Move. Okay, pose. right. <laughs> Brought down the tone.
1: <laughs> what else you do yourself?
2: What? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what?
1: What else did do at ESOF?
2: Right. <laughs> Sorry,
0: yeah, we, we could go back to something clean. Uh, no, there was loads of... Di- I actually was tweeting about all the different papers that had run ignobles, and I got a few tweets from people going, uh, would you mind keeping the ESOF timeline cleaner? I'm like, But I'm just live tweeting a panel where cleaner. scientists... Cleaner? Cleaner. wants to clean up on Twitter? What the heck, like, we're we're out? Out? Yeah, what What did what they mean happen. by cleaning up? There was a paper on uh, blow-up dolls and how they can transfer STDs. <laughs> oh, so, so they if, were
3: afraid that you're tweets they, containing they put, information that they yeah, weren't associated with it ESO. Was,
0: Yeah, No, it wasn't an ESO official or person that did this. Just some scientists that were following, or people that were following the timeline, were like, we don't want to know about scientists sharing blow-up dolls and then discovering that they caught Open that's up, so exactly they don't what you want to find out about I'm like that's why you would go into science and look at stuff like that
3: <laughs> they clearly were the wrong type of scientists following your feed and also yeah. it's a twitter feed give it two seconds and it'll refresh and oh, your tweets will have like, gone I from think here, your kids to to here. that anyway. well
2: and as well those scientists doing that blow up doll research they are saving, lives. They're, saving, saving lives. lives they're modern day heroes Yes. to the blow up doll well that's that's essential information
3: the though There's yeah. people out there would like yeah. to know that
2: I
0: mean, I personally you think wouldn't I think that well, so would ever share a blow-up doll, and if you did, I thought you would rinse it off first,
2: but anyway. <laughs> I was so gross! I
0: well, I
3: mean... So
2: he- There's a lot of stuff that's known about hygiene that, like, statistically and, like, through data-driven studies that people still don't do, like, in hospitals. I know. So... Including washing sh- down their blow-up dolls. Exactly. Those doctors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do I mean, like- ten blow-up dolls, stat! Clean <laughs> ones, by God! <laughs>
1: I'm really sad that people asked you to, to stop, though. Like surely, it, was, surely the, it wasn't stop. It was
2: like
0: keep the t- something along the lines of, uh, "Wouldn't mind keeping the timeline clean." they they British, just,
1: by any chance?
3: We're British, down with this sort of thing. I don't want to get like. racist. That's not <laughs> racism.
0: That's just that's just the British can be dirty too. <laughs>
3: but you're
1: forcing them to read your tweets. Like, sure they could have just yeah. not read your yeah,
0: tweets. And that's,
3: yeah, that's the whole thing about the internet. You cannot read something. You can the just The thing is, on. like, I never
0: really use, like, I actually will put in an asterisk and stuff. I don't really swear on Twitter ever. But when I report, like, if I'm live tweeting, I'll put in the, all the sordid details, um, which can sometimes get a bit messy, especially when I was at, you know, uh, did anybody go to the science communication conference last year, the one Jonathan Lecrae ran? Oh, yeah. Uh, there was a... There was a science journalist and science communicator at it. I can't remember her name now, just in my head. But she was complaining about. I won't go into it because I'll get no I'm actually not even going to go into it because I literally used I her name and a hashtag in. and I got lots of abuse and I had to block hundreds of accounts Oh. so I'm actually not going to go into it I
2: know what you're talking about yeah. I'm it's intrigued kind of, it's I'm, equal, I was there it was
0: well. the science, you know what? everyone knows it better me it's the science equivalent
2: of putting in hashtag
0: Gamergate on Twitter and oh, people yeah, pummeling okay. Into, that explains it then Yeah. yeah. so yeah. I was kind of pummeling <clears throat> people, accuse, people accuse me of lying even though I was just literally reporting and I was also they threatened to sue for treating it. So I was like, okay, shut this down. I'm not enjoying swear, this anymore it's, at all. you'd
3: never find out what a more wretched hive of scum and building <laughs> it. It really is <laughs> a is horrible, horrible thing. I know you Even use the way a I love lot, of I love it. <laughs> use, I, I use it sparingly but I just I just find it to be filled with bile. More often yeah. than
0: not, but it's where I, it's actually where I get a lot of my science communication and news from. Like the hashtag SciCom is actually fantastic. It's where it's how I the how are start following me, Jessamine, for example. So I think it's
2: actually there's you know there's a dark side of it
1: definitely the dark yeah, side. Yeah.
2: Of I think a lot of why I because I was on Twitter before I moved to Dublin, um, but then it seemed like when I came here. Every science communication person that I met would be like, Are you on Twitter? I'm on Twitter. Are are you on Twitter? And yeah, like there's a lot of great communities on Twitter for various things. And it's a great way to like connect with people that are interested in stuff like science communication that that you're super into. Mm. But yeah, there's definitely like a dark and horrible component to it. And Twitter is terrible with like harassment. Like you can block people, but then you know, there's a lot of that. The
0: the fake accounts pop up again and again if they're determined to target you. Um, Thankfully I haven't really been targeted That died off after two days They got bored and went away Because I said nothing I didn't reply to any of it So it actually does dissipate If you don't reply And I know a lot of people There's a a lot of discourse about this in the media You should stand up for yourself Or don't feed the trolls um, Is kind of a cop out in a way Some people feel And I'm like I don't know If people are that insane And that on civil, maybe you, sh- you are best just.
3: It is well to me. I always think it's, it, it seems to be more of an attention-seeking mechanism than anything else. Yeah. I found yeah. anyway for any trolling that I've now being a straight single white male or sorry not single white male married white male. But,
2: <laughs> yeah, you're like what? What? <laughs>
3: Dear lord! No, you know I got like single white females looking at. But um. I, I obviously rarely get you know I'm not targeted for abuse in any kind of like niche or anything like that kind of, but I, I think I've gotten a small bit of abuse on Twitter and I just ignore it and it goes away because you're not you're not responding well,
0: you're, to them well you're in the business of podcasting all about you know sci-fi and fantasy and comics and films and stuff like that's where a lot of the fanboy and fanboys are most passionate mm. I'd be nearly afraid to express an opinion sometimes on that kind of stuff um, well,
2: the, the last like bit,
0: Ghostbusters
2: no. or whatever you're like no. Yeah. You can put that word in your tongue. Yeah, I felt, I felt like my most controversial tweets this year were like, I love Ghostbusters. I love the new <laughs> Ghostbusters. It's so great.
3: Yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, again, I, I didn't get any abuse for saying the exact same. I, I liked it as well. But uh, I did get a bit of abuse for... It was a game, a PS4 game that came remember recently. It's a space game called No Man's Sky. Oh,
2: yeah. And it's, uh,
3: I, I loved it. And I wrote a review for a website called The Arcade. And went up online, and I got started getting a few tweets going. Ah, oh, fanboy! Uh, and I just ignored it. And they kept, and I, I turned, I turned off my Twitter, and I was on holidays. And I went onto the Wi-Fi three days later, and all of a sudden I went onto Twitter, and I had something like forty notifications about this one person, just a stream of their tweets oh, that I hadn't replied to, and I was gone. They just... It was like a long diatribe of just them giving out about my <laughs> review. And I'm like... Was I just said, thanks for reading the review. And that was it. I just yeah. said, thanks for reading the review. Because they did, obviously. Because they just kept giving out about it. So I was like... And, that, and I got nothing else after that. So, so I would kill it with kindness
1: or just don't listen to them at all. Yeah,
2: there was a thing. Last week, I don't know if you guys heard about this. You know the At Ireland account? Which is like yeah. a rotating curation yeah. account. A different <laughs> person who I think is in Ireland or like is Irish but living abroad. Uh, takes over it every week. And then... It, what day? Maybe it was this week. Actually, yeah, yeah. It, was, it, was, it was Monday. Yeah, yeah. A new curator take o- took over um, and just started to get loads and loads of abuse. Um, like basically for being uh, black, female, British, born, yes. and gay. Uh, yeah. And the thing that I obviously that's awful, and it and that's the sort of thing where it's like she shouldn't have to ignore all this stuff like that's there's no excuse for doing that but I was really heartened by seeing all the people basically like tweeting at the account once she made it clear that that, what was going on saying this is ridiculous you know you're you're as Irish as the rest of us like don't listen to all these jerks like and it's heartening to see people kind of come out of the woodwork to and, express uh, support when and, you have yeah. a small number of, like, vocal assholes, Absolutely basically. Agree. Or even, like, going back a bit further, like, Anita Sarkeesian, um, yeah. who does these video reviews, um, called Feminist Frequency, which, uh, used to be more about movies, now they're also games, and there was a Kickstarter that she did for, basically, like, feminist reviews of tropes versus women in video games, and she's an amazing, like, cultural critic. Uh, but for whatever reason this Kickstarter attracted all of this awful trolling. Um, but because it was an online funding campaign, people sort of vote with their money. She was like funded at I think something like 20 times more than what she originally oh my God, asked for because everyone was like, well, I don't agree with what's happening to her and the abuse that she's getting so I'm just gonna donate to her campaign instead. Yeah and now Fantastic. she's been doing all these great you know videos talking about pop culture stuff through a feminist lens great. and she remains
0: outspoken on twitter yeah she's great she just she
3: she's extremely that admirable yeah stuff. and on the flip side it was the leslie jones from the new golf oh, oh, film. And she received something similar and like an horrible horrible situation
0: i, can't, I can i read those tweets yeah it's
3: and, really and now i think somebody's the next is they've hacked her and hacked her website Yeah and have released images and it's, it's just absolutely nasty type of stuff that's the type of policing that's the type of thing we need policed in some way but there isn't any real way of doing it at the moment well no yeah so real...
0: Twitter got a bit of backlash for this sorry this is veering into like talking about digital kind of technology and society but Twitter got a bit of backlash because um, any of the Olympics uh, copyright material that's coming out from Rio they were shutting down um, the and pulling down material within minutes of it being broadcast. Yeah. Oh. So they're able to handle the copyrighted material, but there were people tweeting up and going, "Well, I complained that this guy told me to fuck off and die." Sorry, and um, rape, rape threats and stuff, and yeah. he's still there, oh, and horrible. he's been joined by his friends. And um, so there is there's a view there by many users that big corporations can, will get treated well by big corporations, oh, yeah. and ordinary average users of technology don't really have a voice of course it is but it is actually easier to automatically detect copyright content and go through i'm not putting sticking up for twitter but from a technological point of view it's actually easier to auto detect and pull down copyright material but still they could do a lot more i think couldn't they oh they
3: can ironically through their own invention a hashtag they can search easily through a hashtag as they can with popular information a hashtag is the the one way that twitter categorizes everything and if somebody tagged something with a hashtag saying rape threat or murder threat or whatever and they tag that and that's where they go searching for then they can find everything they need to find using their own system against the bad guys is probably the best way they can do it they just need to actually get a bit of funding behind it because that's the only way it's going to get anyway sorted because like you said big corporations are going to get sorted like that the middle guy is not gonna get swallowed at all.
0: Yeah, but then Brian Cox is going to block me. <laughs> ah. How was Brian Cox, All those tweets. How was that? Like, how was it to That was actually really cool. It was really fantastic, because he was giving... He gave the, um, what's called, the inaugural talk or whatever, the introductory talk at ESOP. Before that, there's a thing called Pie with the Prof. Because it's Manchester, you got to have some pie with the professor. So I, I picked Brian Cox and got a place with, I don't know, it was about 30 other people. And the, we were meant to be early stage researchers. There was some excited people that weren't even in research there. They obviously just really badly wanted to get in, so you're all just sitting there going, yeah, 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 and he's just so normal. And it was weird, and I'm talking too fast next, and getting excited.
3: <laughs> Did you um, actually get to sit down and
0: talk yeah, to? him? I, no, not one on one. It was with, a, like I said, it was with a group of about thirty people. So, like was how far me. down the table were you? Um, I was about, I don't know, from here to, um, yeah, because you can see this. Anybody listening to the podcast, I don't know, like ten feet away. It's not too bad. That's exciting. Yeah, it was great to kind of observe his hairstyle (laughs) (laughs) and...
3: And did he have a nice suit jacket on at the same time?
0: He did. He had like cool t-shirts and a nice suit jacket. It's so fast. (laughs) It's it's,
3: it's the cocks outfit.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah.
3: Standard. Did you you get to ask him a question?
0: Yeah. Now now I can't think what it was. All I know is that he said... He asked me what I... He was like, as an American, I'm interested in what you have to say. And I was like, I'm from Dublin. And it was just like (laughs) awkward
1: silence. You stumped oh, right. the prof oh. with your accent!
0: Yeah, I'm like, that's weird, but there was a guy sitting beside me, and he was, he was like, he was like, I'm Irish, you don't mind
2: like
1: him? <laughs> 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 and
0: I'm like, okay. because uh, I was like, well, do you want an opinion from an Irish person? <laughs> but, um, yeah, what did I ask him?
1: He accused you of being Irish. He accused, accused. Of
2: being right Well, now, wait a minute. <laughs> Is that a thing that one gets accused of? Well, it
1: sounds like that's what he did, They're like, why, why,
2: why did you bring that up? Um, I can't remember. I
0: can't. Rem- I'm actually just thinking about his hair so much that I can't remember what I asked him.
2: <laughs> did I ask him?
3: Clearly, it had certain ramifications more for America than it had for Ireland. Well, that's a weird thing. I mean, he wanted to hear an American opinion on something.
2: Maybe yeah. Brian Cox is just confused by rhodic cars and he's like,
0: "Oh, it's all the same." Yeah, yeah. could be. <laughs> um, it was just some generic question, I think, really about the consistency communication. of Trump's hair
3: or something. Was that? It? <laughs>
0: I don't know, I can't remember now, but I, we were talking about Carl Sagan, that's all I remember. Ah, okay. That he eventually started talking about. It was, yeah, I think it was the whole idea of, you can't be one. It was actually kind of like being a comedian and a scientist. The question was, can you be both, a lot of people think you can't be one or the other, so can you be a science communicator like Brian Cox and still be seen in, within the community as a serious researcher? That was it, actually, because I was saying to him, uh, Carl Sagan never got into the American Academy of Sciences in his lifetime. Like, he's pos- posthumously bought in but um, serious researchers, quote unquote, wouldn't let him in because they thought that he was uh, popularizing science too much, and he couldn't possibly have time or the or the drive to do proper to do like, proper research.
2: Yeah, you know it's interesting because there's this like Carl Sagan effect, which is supposed That's to be exactly, the idea yeah, yeah, that yeah. like you know that someone that does science communication or popularizing, as mm. Carl Sagan and Frank Cox and Neil deGrasse Tyson and all these people do, um, that they couldn't have the time to do you know to be successful researchers as well even though there's scientific research that shows that people that do science communication generally have sort of more papers like they tend to have higher publication metrics possibly because they spend their time thinking about how to communicate ideas and so maybe writing is easier mm, yeah. for them for whatever reason. there's data showing that the opposite is actually true and yet I think that there is sometimes a stigma against people doing science communication and it's interesting too the words that you're using about like you know a serious academic or like serious scientist, because um, that's I think sometimes an issue with people going to like to do Bright Club or other stuff like that is like oh but I want to be taken seriously like you spend oh, my so much time find out
0: that I did this. Yeah, or like, yeah. oh but I,
2: I don't wanna say anything that could be technically wrong in any way. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, well, I like I talk about nanoscience in like stand up routines and I say some stuff that's like pretty much right, but someone could certainly nitpick me on it and say, Oh but in this case that's not true and like that's not the point. Like yeah. the point is communicating these general ideas which are important and interesting. And, yeah. And like, getting
0: people excited and curious about science in general. You don't have to deliver the bullet points of a paper like you're presenting at a conference. So. Yeah, that's just it. Yeah. If someone wants
2: to take me seriously as a scientist, they can go look at my like actual publications and yeah. if they're judging based on you're like, like my, my my solo show, yeah. meanwhile, well, <laughs> please don't look at my H index. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, t- I think it, it shows a lot of confidence as well to be comfortable doing stuff like yeah. comedy based on your research or, you know, Popularizing communication and just being like, well, it's more important to get these ideas out there than it is for me to be technically right to all experts 100% of the time, which no one is anyway. Yeah, absolutely not.
0: And the whole point of embracing science is that you're embracing the, not the possibility, but the eventuality of error and being wrong and fixing and doing it better. But um, I actually, I think I know why he turned the question around on me, was because I asked him, did he ever feel like any of his papers were judged more harshly by his peers because they were jealous of his popularity? And I think that was something that he didn't want to answer because, of course you would be thinking, yeah, damn right. No, but there there will be people, there will be small-minded people out there that want to punish you for being more popular than they are and get because they'll be thinking well, why am I not getting the funding and the exposure for my research and you're getting it for yours a lot of people who think that um, any kind of funding to space with space um, it's more generously funded because people like it and it seems cool compared to other areas of science or humanities even or whatever so I think he just, that's what he asked me, he assumed that I was a researcher interested in going into science communication and um, instead of somebody teetering on the brink of either <laughs> So, uh, yeah, um, I, I don't know, he didn't answer, but I think that is a problem. I think people, scientists probably are afraid that their, you know, peer reviews is weird like that. It's seen as this pristine, clean, um, objective process, and it's manned by people, of course it's got human error involved.
2: Yeah, um, I think it's funny people. too, because like, you know, scientists are supposed to be very comfortable with the idea of failure. And the idea that you're going to throw out a bunch of ideas or approaches, and only some of them are going to work out. And you know, if we knew what was going to happen, it wouldn't be research, it wouldn't be an experiment, it would just be like doing stuff we already knew. So they should and be so... comfortable with improv then. <laughs> oh, you made my point for me. I love it. Because um, yeah, like they're both about being creative and embracing failure, and you know, looking outside the the accepted framework of ideas and trying to come up with new stuff. Not all of which is going to work, um, but being open to that process instead of the, the attitude which is, I think, all too common among, you know, older, stuffier scientists of like, well, everything is going to be just so, and this is surprising, therefore I don't like it, and yeah. that so much of, like, I shouldn't say so much of the time, but peer review can be about gatekeeping as much as it is about, like, fact-checking ideas, which is unfortunate. Um, it's I think that the kind of approach have, is human nature,
3: though. Gatekeeping and everything yeah. is human nature. My fact, so
2: my science. But it's not, but it's yeah. even everything. It's,
3: like, the, like you said, the older generation of scientists, it's, it's, it is a generational thing. Like, we did it this way for such a long time, and then you're coming along with your new and bright ideas, and it's, what are you doing? Like, I don't understand this, but what, what's, what's it about? But we're getting the results that we want to get.
2: Yeah.
3: People are kind of afraid of that.
2: Well, and you can apply it to science communication as well, you know, there have been a lot of different models of science communication over the decades, um, and it's interesting that someone would say, oh, you know, well, stuff like, like, um, Cosmos, the Carl Sagan show, and, you know, they're saying, like this approach of, like, wonder and awe, like, that's great, but comedy is not serious enough. And it's like, well, but comedy, like, accesses a different audience, or accesses the same audience in a different way, so what's not right about that? Or, like, sciencey music, or podcasts, radio, TV. Uh, live events, performance art, uh, dance, uh, artists in residence, uh, installation on the moon, a mural made out of spinach. <laughs> like, uh, there are so many ways you can do things. Nice. Uh, yeah. Why not? <laughs> I'm getting great
0: visual images here.
2: <laughs> Why not approach all of them instead of being like, this is the right way? Yeah. This is bad. I don't know. And it's not to say that, like, everything is right and nothing is bad, because obviously there, there's some stuff that can be misleading or, you know, let's. We've already talked about a bunch of controversial things, so I guess we can talk about anti vaxxers now or stuff like that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's throw them the grill.
1: <laughs> They're actually our sponsors, so they can't the
0: <laughs> Yeah, my favorite pseudoscience.
1: <laughs> and now sponsors. we all have mumps. A <laughs> more uh, from our
2: sponsors.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's why, that's
0: why I love the Infinite Monkey Cage. It just really, that appeals to me that um, you kind of get educated by mistake or as a side effect yeah. of laughing very loudly at Robin Inns and all the people he brings on. But, um, I got to interview him recently. That was my segue in saying I got to interview him. But it was really good to chat to him because... Um, He's re- he really is very passionate about science. But he was like, I am not a science communicator. He calls himself an idiot bridge, which I love. He was like, you take yeah. yeah. He was like, so take somebody you know with a brain like Brian Cox, and he was like, and then you take me and the general public, and I am your idiot bridge. I'll ask all the stupid questions for the answers that you want, that you're curious about, and um, and the stupider ones as well. And I just love that about him. He's kind of fearless, and and um, I think he has to be to do comedy anyway. But it, it was interesting. He I okay. Sorry, the noise
3: in the background. That's the acting actual, of actually getting grounded up. <laughs> up
2: like I'm it. so hungry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: and now we can't remember, what was the thing? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so he was saying that he thinks that science and comedy are actually um, quite similar in that people that go into one have the same, it's like a, this sliding scale of curiosity and on one end you've got comedians stand up and go, you ever notice why people do blah, and then, and that's my Seinfeld impression. And, yeah,
2: no. <laughs> <laughs> and <on the> other, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> what is the deal with atoms? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, and then on the other end of the scale you've got scientists going, I wonder what the deal is with well, uh, I yeah. yeah, exactly. So, you know, it, it's that they, they're they both essentially curious about how things work in the world. And one publishes a paper and the other one makes people laugh. Or in your case, you do both. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's
2: a very human trait as well, like, curiosity about how the world works is, is something that all children have, like, regardless of their background, where they are, like, yeah. what they're doing, what their parents do, how much money they have, like, they're all curious. Um, and so I think just... Protecting that quality and bringing it with us into adulthood because it's interesting and it's fun, um, and some fields do that and some educational systems do that and then some, some don't.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it the whole point I think that I, I think I'd prefer if it, if it was nurtured rather than destroyed. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. This actually
0: oh yeah, is this point where we get to bitch about the education system.
2: <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> this makes me think of this. So there's um. There's a lateral thinking exercise that I remember reading about, which is basically like, given an object, like, say, like, given this wallet, how many different uses of it can you think of? And just like, all of them, you know, from like, I want to, like, I can put money in it, to I can, like, bludgeon an attacker with it, to I can put wheels on it, and now it's a car. Like, just thinking of all the different uses for an object. Children are amazing at this. They do not run out of stuff. Like, they will just go forever. And then, Adults tend to be not great at it. They tend to think of five or six practical uses. And then they're like, well, that's it. That's a wallet.
0: And out of what kills curiosity, then. Well,
2: I've read stuff kind of arguing that, like, in some sense, it can be a product of our educational system, saying, like, there, there are right answers, color inside the lines, there's things that things are specifically for. Um, you can also make arguments about, like, having a stimulating environment outside of school, growing up, I don't know, the sorts of careers that people go into as well, because I'm sure, like, I studied physics and math, which is probably more of a, like, you put the money in the wallet, that's right, kind of a thing. (laughs) Or Or like, here's the equation that describes the shape of the wallet. Um, I imagine that art students would have an easier time being like, This is now my like three dimensional sculpture that's like a Venus flytrap or something like that. Or really shit flip flop. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but I think see? I can't think of anything good at all. Well,
1: <laughs> it's a Wonder Woman wallet, so Surely that gets extra points. More it than it's more maybe it's the wallet of truth. So if you twack
3: it and an attack it uh, with it, they tell yeah. the truth all the time. Yeah. I mean, I could I could probably keep going because I've got the arty side of it. I don't have the, the physics and the math side of it. What What
0: would you do with the wallet, Wayne? If five seconds do something that. I generally
3: mean, I would open it open it out and see how much space I have in it and see what I can fit into it and see. How I could actually change the shape of it to something else, so it's practical, but also fun at the same time. So you know, I'd bring it so to we'll the premiere to... the new
1: Wonder Woman movie, which is going to be good, right? It is. It looks and then amazing.
0: Hope you get snapped by the paparazzi with your wall. With Your Wonder Woman
1: wall. Yeah. Red yeah. Like carpet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My
3: my it's wife has got pap- multiple Wonder Woman accessories. You know that <laughs> she, she uses outdoors. Uh,
1: <laughs> I bring that up just because we're forty minutes in, we haven't mentioned a single movie. So you, usually, like. 30% of the podcast is
2: talking to these. Okay, well, we talked about Ghostbusters. Oh, we did. We oh, did. We sorry,
1: Joe. See, so, yeah,
3: that's, that's the last thing is, Joe's the actually, scientist as well, and he's the one who wants to talk about but, pop culture, but usually yeah. that's my job.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but I have to talk about science all the time. So it's yeah, we, it's we didn't gold. get a Jurassic
0: Park reference in, because we always well, We do always do get gas. a Jurassic Park
1: reference,
0: yeah. I actually can cram one in. I interviewed a guy who worked yeah. on the special effects of Jurassic Park. So, I specifically asked him about it so I could reference it. Did he do the,
1: the photo sounds? The, the sounds in Jurassic Park? No, there. he
0: did the visual effects. Well, they're he, also figures. Well, good. he oversaw them, he didn't do So, wasn't
1: Phil
3: Tippett, the, the dinosaur supervisor? The man who had one job and he screwed it up. <laughs> see, Hence spot? the film. <laughs>
0: This guy was saying though that he was like it was one of the first Hollywood films that did actually get a proper science advisor in and the papers came out of it and everything, so um, Hollywood for once kind of, maybe it wasn't for once, but on one occasion It's one of the more famous ones,
3: yeah, but it got got, like, science got boosted because of it Yeah,
0: and Titanic as well, with, um, with James Cameron helped fund one of the very few deep sea dives.
3: And he
1: filmed uh, yeah, it, the whole thing. There's a like documentary based on it. And what and did they learn from it? What? What did they learn from it? Not, not much. But there's
3: also the South Park episode based yeah, on the James friendly. Cameron documentary, where James oh, wow. Cameron goes deep sea diving to raise the bar of pop culture because it's buried so deep <laughs> in the ocean. Aww. It's amazing. That's, that's really
2: good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really, really terrible.
3: good. Great episode. Anyway, yeah.
2: Isn't there a, there were, there was a paper written off of Interstellar, right, yeah, off of imagine. the, basically, like, special effects around trying to figure out what it would look like very close to the event horizon of yeah. a black hole, and so there were a bunch of simulations done, and was it, was it Kip Thorne? Kip
1: Thorne was the, yeah, yeah. Oh, the yes. science advisor, yeah. but the paper... Or was the
2: paper someone else? Well, the,
1: it was, it was, he was involved in it, but the, the thinking was that they couldn't, they didn't have the computing power to run the simulations they wanted, mm. but because Hollywood invested so much in their models to, to recreate the physics the way it should look more accurate they were able to buy the computing power that they needed and so the simulations they, they did British sellers they couldn't have done it in their lab and got a paper out of it That's and really also nice. they, but they got a couple of education papers out of it as well because there was a group of people in the US who took the movie and turned it into some sort of like educational companion that they could bring to school and oh, like yeah. kids Fantastic. watch the movie and also will now discuss the physics behind it
3: yeah but they not make robots like that because they were the shittest robots in ever, any <laughs> science fiction you, film ever you didn't like oh, it, it I so hated cool. those robots yeah. I thought
1: they They're were really divisive,
3: so they? unpractical it was just <laughs> Ridiculous. It was like, how is that? It, it looked like a, it looked like something a child with no imagination would make out of Lego. Like, the, it did nothing. It was so impractical. How could that thing climb stairs? A Dalek would get upstairs quicker than that It's an extremely impractical robot in space or on a planet. It's not as ugly as
0: a Dalek, though.
3: It was. It was just a flat surface. It had no structure. Well, the structure of it was a cube, and that was it.
1: It was a terrible, terrible robot.
0: It's a beautiful, minimalist design. <laughs> it was a
1: brutalist robot. Yeah, a
0: brutalist robot.
3: Um,
1: but maybe. It's amazing how many people are, like have like very strong opinions on those robots. Just
3: uh, the, That was one of the few things about that movie I just detested. I, I didn't even mind the, the ending of that film. Because for me, as somebody who's read a lot about time travel, I thought, you know, it works. But, you know, and I've seen enough Doctor Who to believe, yeah, he's inside the bookcase, that's yeah. fine.
1: What about that Anna Hatley line Yo, we've had discussions yeah, about this, Joe. Really, we've yeah. had this discussions about <laughs> yeah, the needling you. Yeah, <laughs> he is. He is, he is. <laughs> like
3: he, he, he's actually like
1: baiting me, so he can give out about the line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go on. No, just the like the classic four dialogue part of the movie where like they did so many nice things, and then they had that line about um, love. The un- yeah, the only thing that can trans- transcend time and space is love, which like no one would say. When humanity is at stake, future humanity is at stake, and it's like Probably a pressure-sensitive situation <laughs> in a spacecraft. Like, that's no one would say that.
0: Yeah, I remember giving
1: halfway better lines. I remember
0: that line happened. I was like, okay, you've just undone half the goodness in the movie. Yeah. like it, it did kind of. It was disappointing.
1: I wish the movie ended two thirds the way through, and I would absolutely love the movie then, but. I, I didn't particularly like the, the yeah. ending. Although I'm convinced that that's all a dream sequence. That could also be the case. What? Yeah, yeah, I I choose to believe that. As soon as they go into Black Hole, it's dream sequence from there on out. It's his life flashing for his eyes. Yeah. And then that actually happens. I you know. did like that's the... That's
0: more satisfying yeah. on a kind of
1: yeah. Yeah. realistic, yeah. scientific level. Yeah, it's more scientific, scientific as well because... We don't know what happens, and but it, there's not necessarily a happy ending. But wouldn't the flip side to that be it's scientific theory if that's what happens when you go through the black hole? It's. I
0: mean, is it a possibility? Is it possible at all? Oh well, no. Well, like everything's
3: possible. Yes, that's that's <laughs> the, you can't <laughs> disprove it, so yeah. every, everything's a theory. Well, what about the, the Disney film, yeah. the black hole? When they go through the black hole or not, that, that's a messed-up ending for a Disney what film. film Do you remember that movie, the Black
2: Hole? The I don't black know. Hole? Yeah. Does everyone turn into spaghetti at the
3: end? They, no. It's right. close enough. It's a Disney film, a bit, it's, and it's like um, it's got it's Anthony Perkins in it yeah, uh, right. as a scientist. And it was back in the 80s it was released. It's a fantastic science fiction film. But it's produced by Disney during their dark period when they made the likes of the black hole. And in the end, Mm -hmm. they're on a big space station and it falls into a black hole. And as they go through the black hole, it's similar in a way to Interstellar, but when they come out at the end, it's hell. It's literally, they're all messed up. And it's a giant hellish world that they find themselves on. And it's disturbing. I saw that when I was like... 10? And it stuck with me, and I thought it was one of the best things I've ever seen. That's kind yeah, of cool, I kind of loved. Yeah, it yeah. was. It was uh, to me. I felt that. I found that more satisfying than the end of Interstellar, But it was all happy, and he he got to see his daughter die. And all Did that you values. like the
2: mess upness of Event Horizon? Yes.
3: yes, yes. I was
2: yeah. just thinking, yes. like that the
3: black hole sounded like a Disney version of no Horizon. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, event, and Horizon just had a <laughs> just had a birthday as well. Nice. And oh, there nice. actually is an uncut version of that film that we'll never see the light of day. Um, because halfway through that movie, there's a huge character jump in Sam Neil's character. A huge character where he goes from being a bit crazy to, to being I clawed my eyeballs flaying, out. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. And there is there's a whole jump in that film where there's a massive bit of it cut out of it. And what studio happened? Oh, just cottage. more and more crazy. But it's systematically, you see him get crazier and crazier and crazier and crazier. Until yeah, I didn't want to see that. He peels out his own eyeballs. Um, but yeah, I, I actually really enjoyed that
1: movie for us.
0: Yeah, but I. D- I don't want that to happen to me if I ever happen to go through a black hole Peeling out your own eyeballs Do you reckon
1: Sam Neill's more proud of Jurassic Park or yeah, Event Horizon? Yeah. <laughs> uh. I think he's happy about the paychecks he got
3: But I think he's more happy with the paychecks he got from Jurassic Park Because he came back at yeah. yeah. That is true
1: I bet, I bet he would prefer to have made Event Horizon 2 rather than Jurassic Park 3 I don't know, Jurassic Park 3 is good, home yes, Yeah, it's not oh. terrible Wait, what, what
0: can we do for Event Horizon 2 that will involve him
2: being in any way?
1: Event Horizon Not 2, Rick Electric person. Boogaloo.
3: <laughs> Generally, that's how you make any sequel better. Just put Electric yeah. Boogaloo on the end of it. Event
2: yeah, Horizon 2, in space. In space. Yeah. In yeah.
3: space. <laughs> <laughs> I love how they did that. <laughs> yeah. The first film actually wasn't in space. It was completely in their minds. Yeah. I actually a uh,
2: Plot twist. Oh yeah,
0: it's too lazy plot. Because everything was in their mind. Like a third act. It was a dream sequence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, Joe. They don't <laughs> tell you though. So
3: there are episodes of Star Trek that annoy me like that, or the episodes of Star Trek that where it basically everything gets reset at the end and they go back to the beginning. Yeah.
0: How convenient. You always have that
3: time traveling character. Yeah. Fix one of the best episodes of Star Trek Voyager did that. It was actually cited as one of the best episodes, except the payoff doesn't happen, and they just basically press a reset button and it goes back. It basically, the episode. Is taken happens over eleven years of hell. It's just all hell, eleven years. And it goes all the way back to the start of the episode and you're like, that didn't happen. But the whole if you, if you stop the episode before that happens, it's one of the most harrowing hours of TV and it's one of the best Star Trek episodes ever. And you're kinda of going, Yeah, we do this kind of this is brilliant. What? Everyone's okay? I hear. that's, that's not on. Uh, no, I don't want that. It's and in The Next Generation, whenever that happened, it was always Wesley Crusher's fault. the it was a fucker. It was always his fault.
2: I do think, though, one of the best episodes of Next Generation is the one that opens with the Enterprise exploding. Yeah. Because that's a, like, time loop episode, and everything is fixed by the end. But just, they're like, let's that, cut to the chase here. And that episode
3: yeah. was Wesley's fault as well. I think he was dicking around in one of the Jeffrey tubes, and he messed up something. And it ended up blowing up the ship. But the, be- the best thing that ever happens when they got him off the ship uh, did they? No, well, he eventually went off to Starfleet Academy. Well,
2: and then he got kicked out of Starfleet Academy. Yeah. And then he became a time traveling <laughs> asshole. <laughs>
3: in this show? Wesley Crusher. Yeah. I don't remember
2: that at yeah, all. He did come back, either. though. At
3: the end of it, though, he was, by Nemesis, by the film Nemesis, he was back in Starfleet Academy. Yeah. Because he, he was a lieutenant at that point. Yeah. But he, they cut his scenes out of the film. <laughs> yeah,
2: which is terrible. Because oh, they were like, oh, come back, it's like a big reunion. Yeah. Oh, sorry, there was no time for you. That
3: was actually the director's fault. Stuart Baird, he would never ever watched one episode of Star Trek. And he was contractually obliged by Paramount to make a movie. And they gave him Star Trek Nemesis. And he destroyed the franchise. Nemesis
1: um, is
3: bad. I actually rewatched it a couple of days ago. And it's not as bad as I remember. But it's the worst of the Star Trek Next Generation movies. Is
1: that the Tom Hardy one? Yes.
3: Where he plays Sir John Carter. Yeah, like <laughs>
1: see,
3: see the thing is, if 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 you watch it and you watch it now, I've watched it. I I watched it a few times and I re I rewatched it there, actually flying back from my holidays on the airplane, and I enjoyed it. Surprisingly enough, I was surprised how much I enjoyed parts of it. But I, I very luckily got to interview uh, Gates McFadden two years two not oh last God. year at Dublin Comic Con. She was lovely, and we got to talking about Nemesis, and this, this she said the feeling on the set at the time was we're done. This guy who's directing it just hasn't got a clue. He was having fights with all the cast. He didn't want to hear any of their opinions of the characters. He didn't care. He just wanted to make the film, collect his paycheck and leave. And that's all he wanted to do. <laughs> apparently there is a, a longer version of the film and the deleted scenes and everything and Wesley Crusher scenes are there. Okay. And there's other scenes between Picard <laughs> <Yeah>. and Data. <laughs> kind of bad for him. Um,
0: yeah. He always seems kind
2: of, there's this
0: residual sadness about Will Wheaton. Like
3: I
2: feel like he hasn't got over that. I think he's, <laughs> my, min, I think he's, my, <laughs> he's still okay yeah. Yeah. He's doing I you're mean, he wrote okay. a whole book about it, yeah. um, and then now he's doing a bunch more like acting and writing and I mean, he's so dead when on the
3: Big Bang Theory anyway, so I mean, to me he's dead anyway <laughs>
2: Jessam, what's your opinion on the Big Bang <laughs> Theory, actually? Because
0: we were talking about...
1: Love, how the exhale of air there says it all, right? Yeah. She was actually oh. on it, so, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's tri- tricky.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, I remember when I was first told about the Big Bang Theory. Uh, someone was like, oh, there's a show that you should watch. It's amazing. It's about physicists. And I was like, oh, really? And they're like, yeah. And their dumb blonde neighbor. I was like, why did you think that I would... And I watched it for a few seasons because I was still of all scientists on TV. Like I want to get behind this, and I did sort of warm up to it for a while. Well, but, it's called
3: Stockholm Syndrome.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the thing. I mean, many things became clear to me, in my opinion, on the course of watching it. One is that it is not a show that's about the joyful humor in science. It's a show that's about making fun of scientists. Um, And so much of the, so many of the jokes in that show are just like the scientists or geeks are like this isn't that dumb and that makes me sad because i am in that subgroup and i don't think it's dumb uh i remember the episode where like uh, i think penny got really into world of warcraft just like killed me yeah. in my heart I'm like this you guys hate like geeks so much yeah but then also like there's so much like, sexism racism homophobia like there's so much like rape culture Like, that show is awful, like, consistently awful. By the time I stopped watching it, I couldn't, I just couldn't do it anymore. It made me very sad, because, like, in theory, a show about scientists and their normal lives, and it's a comedy, I was like, I want to like this. On
0: the surface, that description, you're like, good, fine, but, yeah, like you said, the, it's, the, it's woven into the fabric of it. There's like, so yeah. much sexism and uh, it's a every mean kind of mean
2: thing. show. Like, like it is, is mean. mean yeah. it, it's just nasty. to Have you ever heard it without scream. the
3: laugh track? There's Videos <laughs> okay. of it without the laugh track. Oh my god! And it just it. sounds. It sounds it's horrible. So, it's, a, it's 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 cringe cringe worthy to, wa- to watch anyway. Yeah. But without the laugh track, you're kind of going. Oh my God, it's, it's it's like watching it's like watching an Eli like, Roth horror movie, like it's it's like Hostel Four or something. It's
2: but, the like kind of reminds me of uh, Garfield minus Garfield. Yeah, <laughs> like all the Garfield cartoons. With the, it's just John, and so it's mostly just like him saying these horrible existential things into the void. Yeah, <laughs> it's, like, oh, it's amazing. Wow, oh, it's me, and it's amazing. Like...
3: It's that's ama- There's actually an Irish artist, um, John Cullen, who does one called Grenfell. and it's a similar thing, but the cat. Is literally the most nihilistic thing you've ever seen in your life. More nihilistic than actual Garfield would be, and, yeah. and it's John is trying to talk to him, and he's, it's just—it's <laughs> amazing. It's amazing. It's an then, Irish yeah, artist, and yeah, he's yeah. fantastic. He's really, really good. Uh, you definitely check check it out if you liked John Michael Garfield. Yeah, yeah. That's it's, it's similar, but it's it imagine. it gets even more <laughs> you know, weird. It's brilliant. Yeah.
0: But do you think there are any TV shows that actually accurately or fairly represent scientists?
2: That's a good question. Um, was- Orphan Black. No. Uh, I'm just trying to think because I like I watch a lot of sci-fi, but that that's often imbued with more fantastical elements as well. Like I mean, honestly, like Star Trek is pretty great for scientists because the general like. Format for solving a problem in Star Trek is like there's this problem, and then like on the Next Generation, for example, like either Rife, Riker or Worf says like here's a stupid militaristic solution, and then like Data or Geordi is like here's a clever scientific solution, and the captain's like let's do that. Yeah, that sounds good. It does. Yeah, the Next Generation is very different to the to the original series in that way. Where in
3: friends of mine who were big Trekkies, basically there was three ways Kirk solved the problem. He'd either sleep with it, he'd fight it. Or he'd blow it up. No, sorry, he'd sleep with it, he'd fight it, or he'd outthink a computer. They were Kirk's three ways of solving (laughs) problems, right? In The Next Generation, it was a case of Riker would either sleep with it, Worf would either fight it, and then everyone else would either fix it. And that's generally how it worked. Or Picard would talk his way out of it. Diplomacy was Picard's thing. Yeah.
2: You know? Yeah, well, like, I I have a friend, um, like, one of my best friends from childhood, who basically has told me she is an engineer because of Geordi LaForge. Yeah. Like that's Most of what the people in NASA would energy. say that as well. Yeah. They
3: would say they are they are in NASA because of Star Trek. You know, which is just and it's sad to think that it's been off TV screens now for such a long time and yeah. it is coming back, but it's been off TV screens for such a long time and it makes you wonder if was there a gap because there was because it was a huge a huge influence in my life because it was on TV every day when I was growing up But it's it was it was it hasn't been there for such a long time because even Enterprise finished in. Over 12 years ago 12, 13 years ago Star Trek Enterprise finished yeah. and there's been nothing
0: I feel like the the current kind of fashion for like mass entertainment is more fantasy now yeah I mean Game of Thrones is just so huge I think it's not that it's anti-scientific or anything but it's very much the opposite of that whole yeah figuring things out getting inspired by science people are just really into the raw visceral nature of it yeah. well yeah.
3: even the new Star sure, Trek is on. less about because the new Star Trek is again, is again the old Star Trek. It's the Kirk thing. He's either gonna sleep with it, I think, computer will blow it up, and um, we haven't gotten to the next generation version of the new Star Trek yet. So
1: is it, uh, is it set like?
3: Uh, it's Kirk. It's young Kirk and no. young Spock and young McCoy. Now I have to say I've seen the last Star Trek oh, film now twice. The new one, Star Trek Beyond, and it's the best one so far uh, that they've done of the Abrams Star Trek. Do oh, you think so? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Really? I have to say, I really enjoyed. Yeah, it. Have you, enjoyed it. Have you seen it? Yeah, a Star know, Trek.
2: I've seen it, and I, I. I enjoy it, but I also I guess because I grew up on Next Generation and yeah. Space Nine, like I it doesn't feel like Star Trek to me. It feels like like sci fi summer blockbuster. Yeah, yeah. So I' saying that exactly. Yeah, like I appreciate it, um, but there's a lot of stuff like the sort of techno utopianism of like what I think of as the Star Trek of my childhood, let's say, yeah. and also the the questions of morality and like how do we like shine a lens on our own cultures by looking at these other cultures and thinking about if things were different. Like that's to me one of the most appealing things about sci fi when it's done Mm -hmm. thoughtfully, which like for me Star Trek Next Generation Deep Space Nine is like the prototype of that. Yeah. And it feels absent from the new movies. They're still fun. They're
3: fun, yeah, but they're actually I like Star
2: Trek so I'm there. Yeah. Yeah. The
3: newest one, Star Trek Beyond, I felt was more in keeping with the original Kirk, McCoy, Spock dynamic. Yes, yeah, I think that um, that kind of dialogue and interaction was,
0: was uh, I think Simon Pegg probably worked very hard to get, get that, that feeling yeah.
3: back. Yeah, and um, I think it was the closest, because in it, the whole thing about it, it's Kirk, in the end, it's Kirk realisation that it's more about living in peace than trying to live in fear and war and all that type of thing. and I think it's building to something like that, mm-hmm. and with the new TV series that's coming out called Star Trek Discovery, I think that's also going to be striving towards that idealism, because um, one of the writers, one of the main writers from Voyager, is going to be involved in it. Um, he also, his name escapes me now. Brian Fuller, Fuller, yeah, Brian Fuller. He wrote Hannibal, um, so he's now back doing Star Trek again. And Nicholas Myers is involved. He directed Wrath of Khan and Discover Country, so you know we'll see how that goes. But they're recasting everyone again. It's new, new. It's a new ship, it's a new cast, it's a Just female we lead. It's a female lead, Ooh, but she's not going to be the captain. But she's going to be the lead of the show. Oh, that's interesting. So it's a different dynamic altogether. She's going to be the main focus of the show, apparently. And, and there is going to be more alien diversity in it. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm always looking forward to do Star Trek. So.
1: Yeah, it's, just young. it's funny the way
0: like it's inspired, like you said, um, one of your friends, but it's inspired so many scientists. And I don't think we can really say that maybe of the Big Bang Theory. I I don't imagine that many people will go into science. It's funny though. Sam, um, the have you guys ever heard of the Centre for Talented Youth in Ireland? They run a kind of a summer camp for kids in DCU. And I taught them two years ago um, cyber psychology, and loads of them were really like half the class had like Big Bang, they had Bazinga T shirts, they were really really into. But it felt to me that it was more attached to. We've talked about this for the whole the whole nebulous concept of nerd culture and geek culture. I don't know if they actually really wanted to be scientists or researchers when they grew up, but they just liked the idea of geeks being on TV. So is there a generation gap? Is it like, or is it in any way a healthy good thing?
1: for that's kids not, watching them. just to have... Yeah. I got tatted up a couple of times years ago when I came out first, and these... not that I got tatted up a few times, Only ever, a few times. Yeah, they, <laughs> in, in my life. There were three times. So, <laughs> those those there, occasions. And it was all thanks to the big bang theory. They, so they, were, really <laughs> they, they were mistaken. All three of them misread the moment. Uh, no, they all but,
2: thought you were Jim Parsons. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was cleared uh, up, they
1: had no interest in No, but on, on three occasions, around the time when I came out, uh, girls that I was talking to found out what I did, and said, oh, I could be your penny.
0: That's so, so crushing me.
1: Yeah, yeah, There's just nothing good about that.
3: That says more about how they see themselves than how yeah. they see you, really.
0: Ab- absolutely, it's how they see is themselves. It? Yeah, maybe well, they yeah. meant that sorry. For... You are sorry for yourself. No,
1: no, is that... <laughs> <laughs> I'm
2: joking. <laughs> maybe what they meant was that they felt that they were more sensible than you. Uh, um, they thought that they could ground yeah. your craziness. I
1: didn't. I didn't think too much into it. I just thought that oh, I can't believe you're using like a show. That was made by the same people that made two and a half men. Yeah. Yeah. As, as a cultural reference, is maybe sad.
2: Yeah, for sure. I'm just, I'm just sad that a girl thought that that was three girls. Or three girls thought Penny one. No, no, it no, was, it was an aspirational good. kind of a thing. One thing too, another thing I don't like about the Big Bang Theory, um, because like, there's the three scientists, right, and there's one engineer, uh, Howard, who's also the only like non-PhD. Like, you know, I was talking about my friend. Yeah. Uh,
1: that's gonna interrupt it,
0: actually, isn't
3: okay. yeah, it? Yeah, did interrupt it. I got it. Trust dad.
0: Sorry. Yeah. It. You should have I'm gonna put it on them. Um,
1: okay. <laughs> we can splice it together. No. We can we can I do got, it. I know. Yeah. we can do a mock call with your it. Mean
2: so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well just because like I was talking about how, you know, Star Trek inspired my friend to be an engineer. Do you think the Big Bang Theory has inspired any engineers when the engineer is basically the most belittled person on the show? Yeah. Uh, And for horror, I I don't know, just the way that they treat him and the whole, like, that's one of the ways in which the show kind of reinforces, like, traditional hierarchies of, like, whose knowledge is worthwhile and whose isn't in a really, just such a mean way, a mean... Maybe also anti-Semitic way. Uh, there's so much that I don't like about this. Yeah, possibly. Um, and they're and they're
0: not only fundamentally misunderstanding autism or autistic tendencies but they're fetishizing it too yeah and that too. it's just an, it's just I think it's bizarre and inexplicable on the outside if you're you know if you have any autistic friends or relatives you're just looking at that going that's they're portraying it all so wrong and it's not it's, healthy. Not, it's, it's a
3: case I, I kind of boil it down to two and things and indulged
0: indulge because of it Not people don't try to you know, understand him or work with him. They just—he's indulged.
3: Yeah. It's just bizarre. But it, they, it boils down to me that they're—they're they're making fun of them, not making fun with them. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, yeah. and to even put it in a horrible—it's a kind of a horrible term, but I've heard it bandied about. It's a slight like black blackface for nerds.
2: Yes, I 100% agree with that.
3: It, yeah. It's kind of what it is, and it's—it's—it's uh, it's, it's a bad thing to see. And it's—I it, actually. I've seen shows come and go that deserve to stay longer than this show has existed and I'm amazed that it has existed for as long as it has
0: I kind of do wonder then that Mayim Bielik is, uh, you know, she's got a doctorate in, is it psychology? No, it's pharma, pharma uh, something or other. psychology like that. Yeah. She's a legit scientist. Yeah. I just, it is kind of strange to me that she um, is comfortable
2: working getting paid? Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's well, not strange And also, though. like, oh, and her character. So just like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if a female scientist wanted to have sex? I'm like, yeah. Oh, wouldn't it be so funny if I she's like this desperate this. horn dog? <laughs>
0: it's just so bizarre. The character. Like, I, yeah. I, I they just have her constantly chasing this asexual, car- like yeah. Sheldon, and he's like, so he's totally asexual, and she's totally, she's this horned dog constantly trying to chase after him and, and essentially like beat him over the head with her club and drag him back to her cave. Yeah. It's just over and, and over is again just, every episode. It back. is
2: totally just making fun of them. Like, yeah. Even. Um, in the approach the show has taken to gaming, like if you compare that to like the guild, the Felicia Day web series, yeah. which I absolutely love, like to watch it. oh, never got right to. Okay, I have to, um, to this weekend. Like that's a show that you know it pokes fun at the foibles of like MMO players and like online gamers. It goes into a lot of like detail about like the culture. There's definitely like stereotypes and tropes in it, but it does so so affectionately, and there's yeah. so much like heart in the show. And you feel like it's showing stuff that's kind of funny and weird about that whole culture, but in a really loving way. And so, I love that show. Basically, all online gamers I know who have seen it are like, oh yeah, that's such a like nice, enjoyable show to watch. And it still is a comedy about uh, subculture, yeah. and it does poke fun at it, but just in such a better spirit than the Big Bang Theory's treatment of gaming or science or engineering. Because yeah. it's not anything. like science
0: and scientists are not up for um, being laughed
2: at or having yeah. the pace taken out of them. Exactly. That's helpful.
3: the very to do nature that. of what you do with the bright <laughs> globe is the whole point of it.
2: Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing. I think that's a, like comedy is a really valuable tool for understanding so much in our culture and so much about you know who. We are as people and how our society is organized, and it's subversive, it allows you to, like, poke holes in things or, like, change your expectations of something. Yeah. So, of course, like, in some sense, I don't think that anything is really beyond what's okay to make jokes about but it depends on how you make the jokes Yeah. and absolutely. it definitely depends on the spirit in which you're approaching it and yeah like the big bang theory is so mean-spirited and lots of other sort of jokes about about subcultures about oppressed people about sensitive topics when they're done in a hateful way the result is necessarily hateful
3: yeah and
2: yeah. i don't think that that's great. And I don't think that it's clever either. Like that's the other thing. I'm totally in rant mode now. Because like so much so many, <laughs> of, the, so this many is, of the so many of the like topics. Top <laughs> like so many of the the jokes that the Big Bang Theory or stuff like that make, if they're playing on stereotypes, it's not even clever. Like it's not funny. It's just being like, ooh, isn't it funny that like scientists are nerds? Oh men yeah. yeah. of so this. Yeah, it's lowest of the low-hanging. Fruit. It's just saying stuff that's obvious and expecting a laugh for it. Like that's no. No. Yeah. So what you're no. saying is we
0: need to write a series. Well the series yes. yes. of I, I think
3: personally <laughs> a series already exists that does it much better and it's written by an Irishman and that's the IT crowd. Oh, the IT crowd well, does the what the Big Bang wishes it could do. And it it did so well and with so much love and it has a character like Sheldon Cooper in it in Moss Moss is the best in
0: his hot ear but, like, hot in his. Yeah. but Moss is still he's the
3: <laughs> socially awkward character who clearly has is, you know he has issues but he's still
0: but it's done, it, it, done, it's in, done in, in such in
3: a such way yeah. yeah it's not done in a way that you're yeah. laughing at him you're, you are laughing with Moss yeah and like, I mean that countdown episode of the IT crowd was one of the best pieces of writing on TV i ever so you're seen do a now yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I bought the first two seasons on DVD today, Very good. Awesome. so yes, I'm going to go home and watch some of that so, later, yeah. before That's we finish point. up, yeah. Joe,
0: you did some improv training then. <laughs> so, I've got an idea, right? For the outro, is there any way we could improv a scene in our own science comedy about two scientists? <laughs> Are you guys up for that at all? Improving something, just throw something out there. <laughs> yeah, of course.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the
0: faces, they change. <laughs> You throw something out there, and um, how do you see? I don't know, I improv. Works. So, what, if Jasmine could normally to
2: start an improv scene, you ask for a one word suggestion from the audience to inspire you, and then myself and Joe would come up with the characters. Uh, Joe would mask the terror in his eyes, <laughs> and I would t- do my best not to throw Joe under the bus by being like, This could also be a musical.
0: Wayne, throw a word
3: out. What was the name of that recent meteor storm? Your meteor shower? The...
1: Purchase? Yeah? Okay. Do one of them. There you go. Meteor shower. Meteor shower? The only type of shower I'll ever use. Haha! <laughs> 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 Hygiene!
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sir, uh, I'm doing my best to install this meteor shower head that you asked for. Um, I just uh, i wanted to flag a couple issues with you uh, before, it, before I go home for the day. I don't think you should use the shower yet, sir, because the, the meteors are clogging it.
1: That's okay. That's how I like it. I, I like when my showers come in hot. Uh,
2: sir, even though I'm a plumber replacing a shower head, but this is not a, that kind of a situation, sir.
1: Are you sure? Because things are already burning up.
2: Oh, I, oh, I'm, I'm gonna have to call my union supervisor after this just to uh, tell him that nothing untoward has happened. But sir, I'm very serious about the safety of the shower. Uh, if, you, if you turn it on with this kind of meteor pressure behind it, I'm just concerned that, uh, that, that you might be injured, sir.
1: I'm concerned about the atmosphere in my bathroom and the danger poses for me to attempt re-entry.
2: I'm Sir. Like, <laughs> uh... We're gonna
1: stop. <laughs> when, when I try and do like something spontaneous, I just like it's this spiral of like trying to make things worse and worse and worse. It's just, basically at the end of Interstellar. He ends up behind the bookcase just peering in his <laughs> yeah. eyes. So I can't do improv. Yeah. Yeah. No, Sorry, I gentlemen. actually really enjoy that. No, that's oh, that's
2: <laughs> why that's why you should keep doing improv. Yeah. So I know, becomes, good. So that
1: I'll say things that I can never unsay.
2: That's life. <laughs> yeah. Like
0: Jasmine said, don't be
2: afraid. Yeah. Inverse, weird.
1: weird the fear. Weird. Like, um, like science themed, astro, like porno thing going on there. Was,
0: yeah. You yeah, like, came in to fix the shower, you have a and problem. she was worried about re Oh my I, god! I did
3: like the usual role reversal. Usually, it's the woman yeah. waiting for the plumber
1: to arrive, but yeah. the woman in this case was the one fixing the
3: shower. Yeah. yeah. So that was good role reversal. And she I was the him.
1: voice of reason, whereas yeah. like I, I was kind of like. Turn it into something more. Uh,
0: I like the way you were going to report it yeah. to your union manager. Got <laughs> shot that down, well, it didn't really. <laughs> You're quite persistent. Yeah. <laughs> oh, guys, thank oh, no. you so much. Thank you, Jessamyn, for being guests on the show. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank for you, Joe, me. for all your tone tendres. <laughs> we
1: have more. I think I should also be a guest. <laughs>
0: Joe, our new recurring guest.
1: Recurring guest. Uh, that, yeah. perfect. There you go. Perfect. You're like
3: Aww. you're going to be like Anthony Shoothead Head at, the, at every episode of Buffy. He was yeah. like also starring, you know, Anthony Shoothead Head <laughs> as Giles. He's like also starring yeah. Joe Roach as Joe Roach. Or as Giles. Or as Joe. You're got you to wear a lot of tweed. I can do that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Giles is a dirty spaceman. I need a hot, hot shower. Keep cleaning <laughs> your, clean your aviator shades on your, on your jacket. So you're, uh, yeah. They
1: can't see that. I'm not wearing anything. Oh God. At all. Wear more
2: tweed <laughs> <laughs> Sure. <laughs> okay, bye, folks. <laughs>